Well, hello, friend. This is Pastor Rodney Clements, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for being a part of our listening family. Whether you're listening to us online via our sermon podcast or maybe you're listening to us through our CD ministry, we're so uh, grateful and honored and blessed that we can just be a small part of your life. And we trust that uh, the messages are a blessing from week to week and that it will be a blessing to those that you might pass these along to or encourage others to listen. Um, and, and we would appreciate you helping us with that. Technology is great when it works. Uh, when it doesn't, well, that's a different story. You may have experienced that yourself. This doesn't happen very often, but it did happen this past Sunday. In the midst of my preaching, uh, we have a lost recording. And so we have part of the message is live, and then we have uh, part of it that's going to be added on uh, here in a little bit. And so you're probably going to notice a little bit of a difference. I wanted to let you know why. Uh, we wanted to get the full message to you and to everyone who might listen in the future. So just be aware that part of this was recorded live, and then part of it was added to later so you can get the full message. By the way, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact us by going to our website, www.redhillbaptist.church, or you can write to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you and know that you're listening and know that you're being blessed. Well, without further ado, let's get into this week's uh, message. But first, let's have some music. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. Oh 
Christian, who is responsible to ensure that change takes place in your life? And I'm talking about positive change in your life. Who's responsible for that? Is it God or is it you? One of the great challenges in understanding and living the Christian life, I believe, is to remain balanced when it comes to the idea of the divine sovereignty of God. That is, as God, He's in complete control. He's sovereign. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. To remain balanced when it comes to this whole idea of what God does and what we do. Now, let me say right up front, put all my cards on the table. Everything that we do in life, we can only do it Because God enables us to do it. He is the originator of life, the creator of life, the source of life, the sustainer of life. The fact that we're alive today is because of God's mercies and God's working in our life. But the Scripture is clear that while it says that God saves us and God empowers us, we are responsible to respond and obey. I like how one devotional writer put it. He said, It is not that God started something in us that we must complete, but that God initiated something in us that we're privileged to join Him in continuing. It's a wonderful way of thinking about it. We know that salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 is very clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. Not what we've done, but what Christ has done. But a lot of times we stop reading at verse 9 and we neglect verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
Four good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. There are things that God has called us to do. Now, He empowers us to do them. He enables us to do them. He gives us the privilege of doing them. But we must do them. This is where that balance or that tension comes into place. The responsibility. The responsibility. The change that comes about in our life. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Philippians 2, verse 12, and we're getting to Ephesians 4. Don't worry, we're in the right place. But Philippians 2, 12 is a very interesting verse. In fact, I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. Work out your own salvation. When you first hear that, if you've never contemplated it before, you say, wait a minute. We just read Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for you're saved by grace through faith, and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are His workmanship. We have works to do. And then we come to Philippians 2.12 and it says, work out your own salvation. And don't just work it out. Work it out with fear and trembling. What's He talking about? Well, notice what it says and what, notice what it does not say. It does not say work for your own salvation. It does not say work at your own salvation. It doesn't even say work to keep your salvation. It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The idea is it's been worked in you by God. Now you work it out in your life. That is in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. In cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God, we obey. We follow. We respond. We change. We grow. And again, there's this balance. We can't do this on our own. We've got to have God working, enabling us, empowering us to do it. But we're called to do it. I think about the verse, study to show thyself approved to God. In other words, study the Bible. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for a long time. And not once have I awakened in the middle of the night where God the Holy Spirit has taken me from my bed and set me up and, and had a Bible come down from the ceiling in my lap and put my finger on a verse and have me start reading it. Not once has that... Now, that's happened to you. I'd love to hear the story later. I'll try to control my eyebrows. Like, anyway. Now, what I've found is if I'm going to read my Bible, if I'm going to study the Bible, I have to get the Bible out. I have to set time aside. I have to clear my schedule. And I have to take the Word of God. And I have to use the mind that God's given me and the understanding. And He enables me and empowers me and gives me the wonderful gifts that He's given to me. But I have to do it. That's what I'm talking about today. There's that balance, that tension that comes about living the Christian life where there is divine sovereignty, but there's also human responsibility. That same devotion I was reading said, while we rest in the completed work of Christ, and we do, we rest in the completed work of Christ that brought about our salvation and His sanctifying work that never ceases, even when we falter, we must report for duty. Our relationship with Christ is not passive. We have work to do. And I think sometimes this is diminished in teaching and preaching out of fear. 
And the fear is this. There's the fear that someone might misunderstand and think that we're talking about work salvation. We're not. We're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We've already read it. It's a gift of God. We cannot save ourselves. God saves us. We're saved by grace through faith, the finished work of Christ. But then when we're saved, God begins a work in us. It's a big word called sanctification. We don't use that word very much today. It's a $20 word. But it simply means that God is growing you. He's growing you in holiness. He's growing you in righteousness. He's growing you to make you more like Jesus. Progressive sanctification. Day by day, if you're a believer, God is working in your life. And with your cooperation, you're growing more like Jesus. There's sanctification. He's doing a work in our life. And we actively participate in the process. I'm imagining some of you here today, you're here by choice. You chose to come. Others, you're here today out of guilt. If you don't come, you'll feel guilty. Others, maybe your mother guilted you into coming. I sure would like to have you in church with me today. I'm glad you're here regardless. I don't think it's a mistake that you're here. God has you here, but you had to cooperate. I don't think anybody had a limousine pull up today where God the Holy Spirit orchestrated that and you were levitated from your bed, dressed and put in the limousine and driven here. You had to cooperate. You had to get up, dress up, get yourself ready and get to church. We had to report for duty. There's that balance that we find here, and he's going to talk a lot about it today. This is not legalism. The Bible tells us there are some things that we're told that we have to do as believers and some things that we ought not to do as believers. And that's not legalism. A Christian is supposed to live different. You know why? Because we are different. Let me put a verse on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We'll mention this more than once today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're a new creation in Christ. We're not just renovated. This is not HTTV. It's not just renovating. It's not just remodeling. It's recreation. You're created new. But there's a challenge we face because although we are new in Christ, we're still living in the same old world. And not only are we new, we're new on the inside, but we're still fleshly living in these bodies that are broken. And we still have to battle temptation and sin on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis. Now you might be thinking, where is all this coming from? Where is he going? Well, I told you we're going to Ephesians 4. And I hope by now you're there. And this passage speaks about the whole idea of being different, living different, and thinking different. I want to read it, uh, and then we'll kind of unpack it together. Ephesians chapter 4, just looking at verses 17 through 24. We're going to talk about some, some phrases and some some persons here that may sound strange to you. We're going to talk about the old man and the new man. And you'll see it as we study. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I've got to be honest, this passage divides pretty nicely. I mean, it's pretty even here. I, I summarize the passage very simply this way. As believers, if you're a follower of Christ, we're supposed to get rid of the old and get on with the new. That's what it basically says. Get rid of the old and get on with the new. And while it divides nicely, it's not an easy passage. I, I need you to lean in today and I need you to stay with me. I, need to, I want to ask you a favor. I know it's a big favor because it's Sunday morning. But I need you to think with me this morning. Can you do that? This means yes. This means no. This means, is, are we still at church? One of the, one of the worries I have, I, I, concerns I have when the bells are playing, I kind of look out and you're like, let there be peace on earth. So I need you to wake up and think with me for a few minutes. So this is not an easy passage, but it's a vital passage for you to understand what he's talking about, this whole idea of the old man and the new man. And remember, we're, we're trying to have a tension here between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. So first of all, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to Christians now, you're supposed to get rid of the old. You notice the passage talks about the old man and the new man. Well, what in the world is the old man and the new man? Well, simply put, it's us before salvation and after salvation. The old man before we were saved. The new man after we're saved. The old man is our old, sinful, lost life. It's who we were, how we were before we got saved, before we came to faith in Christ. And by the way, it is a pitiful picture. I don't know if you caught it yet. We'll walk back through it again. But he likens them here to lost Gentiles. Think pagans, if you will, as he writes to them here. Those without God. Now, I want you to notice their description. You're still in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 17. He begins describing the old man. By the way, this was us prior to getting saved. They walked in the futility, the New King James says here, the futility of their mind, the vanity. It's the idea of being empty. The idea of not having purpose in life. When you think about the mind here, think mindset. Think worldview. So everybody has a worldview. It's the way you view the world. It's the way you view things. It's the way you process things. And it says here that there was empty and meaningless and purposelessness here in the life of the old man. Why? Because without God in their lives, they had no true purpose. No true purpose. We were empty... Truly, without God. In verse 18, it says that their understanding was darkened. They were alienated or cut off from God. They were ignorant of God and His ways. And they had blindness 
Or some translations, depending on which one you're carrying today, might say hardness of heart. And both are true. There's a blindness and a hardness of heart. Why? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4 or listen to it. And by the way, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, but I'll put the references on the screen so you can jot them down. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose minds, the God of this age, that doesn't mean God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. It's the God of this age. It's the devil. It's our enemy, Satan, whose minds, little g, whose mind, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's in the image of God, should shine on them. You've got to understand that before we came to faith in Christ, before God the Holy Spirit worked in our life and opened our eyes to our need and opened our eyes to the gospel, we were walking around in blindness and hardness of heart and sin. We were in bondage to sin. We were lost. It was pitiful. We were without purpose, without meaning. Our lives were void and empty. And that's true of every person who does not have Christ. Verse 19 says it this way. In their darkness and lostness, they grew calloused. And they gave themselves over to all sorts of evil and wickedness. You know, you and I, we sometimes will maybe look at the news or read the news. And we see some of the things that people are doing today. And and it's mind-boggling. I heard about just this past week, if I remember the, the story correctly, about a mom who shot two of her children in the head while they slept. And we look at things like that. We look at people that abuse children and do all sorts of wicked, lewd, awful stuff. And we wonder, how in the world could someone do that? Well, listen, someone who's lost in sin and bondage to sin, they give themselves more and more to sin. They grow harder and harder and they do if you and I can say it this way, worse and worse stuff. They need Christ. They need the Gospel. They need salvation. They need rescue. And by the way, we're capable of doing horrible things as well. Don't forget that. But God in His grace and mercy has delivered us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And we don't have to sin as believers. We'll get to more of that later. But you're in the same book, right? Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 2 this time. We find out more about this, this old man. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We studied this last fall. But let me walk you back through it again. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Now remember, you're thinking with me today. I, I kind of smell that a little bit in the air. But it's okay. Get the cobwebs out. Get, get it going. Kind of like turning on the heat for the first time. Some of you are thinking today with me, alright? Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1. And you He made alive. By the way, if you're a Christian, this is describing you. You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And whence you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, again, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, look how we conducted ourselves, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, that is God's wrath, just as the others. See, that's who a person is without Jesus. A person who does not have Jesus Christ in their life as Savior, they're operating and living under the wrath of God. It is sure they're condemned, they're doomed until the glorious light of the Gospel shines through by the power of the Holy Spirit And that person repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ. And they move from being children of wrath 
to walking in the light. A new creation in Christ. This is what a person without Christ is like. This is who we were without Christ. So we dare not be boastful or proud because this is the work of God in our life. Go back to Ephesians 4. Please, in verse 17 again. Paul here writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. That is, I'm speaking this upon the authority of God. Not my words, but His words. Now notice what he says in verse 17. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, we're no longer to live this way. And then in verse 22, he likens it to a dirty garment. Did you notice that? Verse 22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So I want you to think about yourself. You're out working. Maybe you're out in the garden. You're out laboring. And you have a dirty garment on. And there comes a time where you take that dirty garment off and put on a clean garment. That's the picture here. Take off the old man. Take off the former way of life. Take off the way you used to live. And we'll see in a moment, put on the new man. Now here's where we get a little confused. Again, we want this balance. We want to stay on task here. Let me say that we cannot, in our own strength and power, take off the old man and put on the new man. We can't do that. This change happens. You know when it happens? The moment that we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that you're saved, the old man is put to death, and the new man is created. In other words, we're a new creation in Christ. We read it earlier. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible is clear here. Now listen. It's clear. The old man is not remodeled. The old man is not renovated. The old man's not fixed up and propped up and put a, a coat of paint on him. The old man is not sprayed down with Febreze. It says here, he's not fixed up, he's not remodeled, he's put to death. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The old man is put to death. Now, are you still thinking with me? You still, you still with me? This is why I struggled hashing this out. I want you to know that you should grow in your understanding of the Scripture. You should grow in your understanding of doctrine, the teaching of Scripture. There might be some things that you used to believe that you realize later that wasn't quite right on that. And it's not because you're a heretic and it's not because... Uh, you were trying to not live right or do right or think right or believe right. It's just that you continue to grow and that you continue to grow and mature things you used to think about in one regard. You think, well, I wasn't quite right on that. And this is one area where I wasn't quite right on. You see, I remember being taught growing up, and I don't remember a lot of things. I was like a lot of people, uh, you, know, you know, counting the ceiling tiles. But I remember, I remember this one particular story that the preacher told. And it was about two natures. And the teaching went along kind of like this. That as a Christian, I have two natures living within me. Now that's wrong. I'll tell you that in a moment. 
But as a Christian, I have two natures. I have the old man and the new man. I have the old nature and the new nature. And they battle it out and they war. And the illustration went along these lines. There was a fellow who had two dogs. And he used to have his dogs fight. And I don't remember all the details, but the whole gist of the illustration was, well, how do you know which dog's going to win? And the illustration went this way. The guy would say, the dog that I feed the best, he's the one that wins. And the whole idea was this, that you have these two natures within you and you've got to make sure you feed the good nature better than the old nature. So make sure you read your Bible. Make sure that you go to Sunday school. Make sure you do all these things. And over here, don't watch the wrong thing. Don't read the wrong thing. Because you've got these two natures warring it out in between you and your body and your life. But then I learned the Bible teaches... By the way, that's a cool illustration... And, and, and it must have been a good one because I remember it all these years later. But I don't find it matching up with the Scripture. Because I find the Bible says I don't have two natures. I have a new nature. And it says the old is gone and the new has come. But then that brings up another question. If I'm new in Christ and I am then why do I still struggle with all that old stuff from the old nature? Brian Chappell helped me. He wrote this, The Christian life is a battle. You found that to be true? Christian life is a battle. Listen, the residue of the old nature persists, even though the old nature is dead. The old man's patterns of thought, word and deed, it placed deep ruts in our lives. And until we're with the Lord, we struggle with the aspects of our fallen nature. You see, we're new in Christ. And so here's where part of the struggle comes in. We are still in the flesh. We don't have our perfect glorified bodies yet. We're also still living in a sin-cursed fallen world. We're not yet in the new heaven and the new earth. And we still have an active enemy who hates us. And we are in a spiritual battle But we can be victorious because we are now new in Christ. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We no longer have to give in to temptation. So, if the old man was put to death at our salvation, why then are we told here in this passage to put off the old man? Well, I wrestled with this. But then I remembered that even a dead person can have influence over us. They're gone, but their influence remains as we've spent time with them, as we've listened to them, as we've been influenced by them in various ways during their days of life, now that influence can carry on even after they are dead. And by the way, that influence can be good or it can be for evil. And with the old man, it's all evil. When it comes to the old man, we've got to remember that that part of our life, that way of living is over. And we must do away with those patterns of behavior in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14 speaks about this. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, 
and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So in other words, in the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the sin in your life. Get rid of the old, and then get on with the new. This brings us to verse 24. It says, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let me ask you, when did we become a new man? When did we become a new creation? Well, when we trusted Jesus as our Savior. Remember that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if that's true, and it is, why are we told to put on the new man if we already are a new man, a new person in Christ? Well, again, this has the idea of working out what God has worked in. You're saved, so live like it. You see, we're to be growing in righteousness and holiness. Now, positionally in Christ, this is all done. It's all complete. But practically speaking, this is talking about the day-to-day living for Christ that we participate in. We'll see real specifically what this looks like in our passage next time. But here as we hash this out, how do we do this? Well, again, we can't do it on our own. We can only do it as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit working in our life. But we have things that we are to do. And a lot of this takes place in our mind. And, of course, our mind influences our will and our body. Have you noticed how much the Scripture here talks about the mind? How many times it addresses the mind? Uh, Not only with the new man, but also the old man. But verse 23 gives us some vital instruction here. It tells us that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, we are made new. And that would include our ability to think differently, to even have, as the Scripture says, the mind of Christ, to think the thoughts of Christ, to, to look at things as Christ would look at them, to think about things the way Christ would. We must be renewed in our mind. In other words, we thought one way, now we need to think another way. We need to, we need to think the correct way. This is not the power of positive thinking. No, this is the power of biblical thinking. Just just thinking rightly about things. Now, how do we renew our thinking? Well, the Bible talks about our thinking in various places. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Philippians 4, 8, 9, uh, there's a long list given about how we should think about or what we should think about. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, it always adds that phrase, whatever things. So I'll just give you the highlights here. Whatever things are true and noble and just and pure, lovely, of a good report, any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate, think about, chew on these things. You see, beloved, the primary way to renew your thinking is to fill your mind With the Word of God. And as you do, as you spend time in the Word of God, you will encounter over and over and over again Jesus. Did you notice as we went through the passage here that right after he lays out all the evil that describes the lost pagans and the old man and their thinking and their lifestyle, the very next thing he says in verse 20 is this, But you have not so learned Christ. And verse 21 says, if indeed you've heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. 
You see, beloved, the Christian life is not just a set of beliefs. It is a person named Jesus. He says here, you've learned Christ, you've heard Christ, you've been taught by Christ, you've seen Him as truth. I like what Stuart Alliot said. He said, there's a world of difference between learning a lesson and learning a person. Christianity is more than grasping a set of truths which can be written on paper. It has all to do with knowing a person, trusting, following, and loving Him. F.B. Meyer said it this way, The Lord Jesus is our textbook and our teacher, the schoolhouse in which we are taught, and the object lesson in which all truth is enshrined. In Christ we are a new creature. Now we must learn to live out that new reality. We take off the old clothes and put on the new. We get rid of the old sinful patterns and replace them with patterns of righteousness. I think we see this illustrated in the story of Lazarus. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Do you remember the family of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha? At one point, Lazarus dies. And Jesus does not appear until four days later. And as can be imagined, and we understand Mary and Martha are heartbroken. And as you read the story, and by the way, you can find this in John chapter 11. I'll just kind of summarize that for time's sake. Even Jesus starts crying. In John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, but oh, what truth and what power in the words Jesus wept. But he isn't done. He, he, they, they take Jesus to the tomb and, and Jesus says, take away the stone. And, and Martha just says, and Lord, by now, you know, he, he, he stinks. It's been four days. And you remember the wonderful story of how Jesus, he calls out and in a loud voice says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says in John 11, verse 44, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. But I want you to notice what it says next in that verse. It says, Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. That is, loose him and let him go. Get rid of the grave clothes. He's no longer dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, he needs to dress like it. And so do we. We're alive. So dress like it. Get rid of the old and put on the new. Get on with the new. Live like who you are. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And now, Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for this truth found in the book of Ephesians. Help us to grasp it. Help us to understand it. I pray your Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts and our lives for your glory. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.